Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, good morning. It's great to see you all here this morning and uh, great to see all those who are worshiping with us online today. We're going to be in John chapter 8 in the gospel story from John chapter 8. And this story has a master evil trap. Like this trap rivals. It got me thinking to Disney villains. We've got a few Disney villains up here today. I'd be interested to know which one you think is the most sinister of these Disney villains. We've got Shere Khan and number one all the way over to Scar in box three. Box four, who's that? What's that? I won't try to repeat that. It's from um, The Frog and Me, right? Oh, Princess and Frog, man. So I know the top three, but I guess that one I missed out on that one. Emperor's New Groove in five, one of my favorites. And then Captain Hook in number six. So who would say box one, Shere Khan, you think is the best villain out of that? No one? Box two? She's pretty evil. Three? Scar killed Mufasa. To me, that ends the discussion right there. Scar, that's over. All right, so, so Scar for me just ends it. That's the biggest villain. That was an evil plan that he had. And in our text in John chapter 8, we see also an evil plan that we have. In your Bible, though, you may notice that this text is italicized. The reason why it's italicized is that in the earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of John, the story actually wasn't in it. It never made it into the, uh, as the text moved to the east, but it did make it in very early on into the text in the west. So I believe the story was around from the beginning. Remember from the beginning, they shared the stories of Jesus, and they passed it on. And then they captured, and they wrote it down, and it was felt that this story should be included, and it was inserted into the Gospel of John, and it's just a beautiful, powerful story. There are three main players that are in our text. You have Jesus, the Pharisees, or teachers of the law, and the woman. And it's easy to see, interesting to see how they interact. Well, let's look at John chapter 8, verse 1. It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Well, the trap is set, and in my mind, they were gathered around a bonfire, the Pharisees, teachers of the law, thinking, we have to stop this Jesus. So somebody comes up with this brilliant plan in, the, in an evil, dark way. They think they know how they can capture Jesus. So they catch this woman in the act of adultery, and they bring them to Jesus, and they say, teacher, the law says, the, uh, says that this woman should be stoned to death. Now, interesting enough, the law actually says the man and the woman should be killed, but where is the man? He's now not in the picture, presumably a part of the trap. But Rome did not allow the Jews to commit the death penalty. 
So if Jesus here says, yes, follow the law to the letter, stone and kill this girl, then the scribes and the Pharisees are going to go to Rome and say, this man is not following your orders and it deserves to be taken out. Thus, it would eliminate the Jesus problem for them. But if Jesus here says, don't stone her, the crowd and the teachers will say, he doesn't follow Moses or the law. So he can't be a leader or a teacher among us because he doesn't hold the law in high esteem. It is a brilliant trap in all its evil and all its sinisterness. But Jesus doesn't respond as they thought. He doesn't engage them. He stoops down and he writes in the ground. And oh, wouldn't I love to know what he writes in that moment. But he doesn't immediately engage the emotion, the mob hysteria. Jesus stays calm friends in these times of which it feels like there's a trap set no matter you can't say things about certain issues anymore or else you feel like you're going to step on a landmine and blow yourself up like it's a good reminder that sometimes in the moment your best response is no response it's simply to calm down and jesus shows this and so Jesus here says this, and because Jesus sees through the trap, he sees our unseen motives and not just what we publicly project. The Pharisees and scribes, they could have cared less about the woman. It had nothing to do with the woman. But Jesus cared about the individual. It wasn't even about the law. It wasn't even about theological purity for the Pharisees. It was all about eliminating their problem of Jesus, and Jesus sees through their trap And friends, Jesus also sees when we have masks as well. When what we project publicly is not our motives internally, Jesus sees that as well. Let's go on to verse 7. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time the older ones first and until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there well the Pharisees continue to banter Jesus right this isn't going according to the plan if Jesus doesn't respond it does no good for them but like an arrow Jesus cuts through their trap and he strikes at the heart of the matter he shows them that you're not without sin in fact the only one that was there who could have cast a stone with this question was Jesus Himself And the Pharisees, one by one, drop their stones and shoulders, I would guess, slouch as they walk away, the oldest to the youngest. This is masterful. Like, this is just an amazing response. If, if I had a guess of what the disciples looked like this day, this would be my picture of what the disciples' reaction were. Jesus let he who is out sin cast the first stone. The Pharisees dropped the stone, and the disciples were like, oh my goodness, I can't believe what Jesus has done. Isn't it an amazing way that Jesus disengages the mob there to say, hey, it's really about this woman. It's not about your plan. But Jesus doesn't gloat, does he? He doesn't stand up and watch him leave. He doesn't say some sly comment to them like, yeah, you're so righteous. He stoops down and he looks at the ground the whole time. This is a sad moment. It's a bad view of the teachers of the law, is it not? It's a bad, sad story of a, of a woman who is presented in a, to shame her in front of a crowd. But Jesus stands up for the individual. Picture here of Barbara Mack. Barbara is in Florida 
Um, at the beginning of the month, she was going into a grocery store in which she saw a homeless man that she knew. She says he has the mind of a child, and it was 90 degrees as it is this time of year. It was 80% humidity in Florida, and she said the, the homeless guy just looked a little bit shaky. And so she went in, but the line was so long, she knew the cashier, and she grabbed two waters, and she said, hey, I'm going to go give this to that guy out there, and I'll be back in to pay for it. Well, when she got back into the grocery store and was at the end of the line of about seven people, the lady in front of her turned to her and said to her, with a sneer, she put her hands on her hips and said, you're just enabling that homeless person and you shouldn't be wasting money on him. To which Barbara replied, I'd rather give him a bottle of water than have to call for an ambulance, thinking that would end it. But it didn't for that lady. She said that I, she said, I, Barbara, should be ashamed of herself, that someone should call the police on that man, and that it should be illegal to beg for money, that people who give the homeless money just like you are just encouraging them to stay homeless, and that should be illegal too. Well, Barbara Mack in that moment says, I normally am a quiet person, but, and I'm also a little bit deaf, but in that moment I lost my temper, and I told her to call the cops, and that I'm not in, not in a mood to deal with stupid people. She said, if you have a problem with it or an ounce of compassion in your body, you should go buy him a cold drink too. And maybe that would help you know not to accost me, so please don't say another word. The air sucked out of the grocery store, as you can imagine. And somebody from, from the front of the line said, uh, for real. Well, but something interesting happened. The guy who was front in the line, when he went through, he said, put a sandwich in mine. I want to give it to that guy, too. Then the person who was second in line said, give me an ice cream sandwich. I want to give it to that guy also. Then the third person in line said, give me change for my 20. I'm sure that guy needs some cash. Every single person in that line bought the gentleman who was out there something, except for that lady who accosted Barbara Mack. When the lady walked out, when Barbara walked outside and saw the homeless man, he no longer looked shaky. He was eating an ice cream sandwich with a pile of gifts surrounded by him. He didn't know what had happened, but he knew he was having a pretty good day. When Barbara got up to the cashier, the cashier said, uh, these drinks are on me. I was going to get buy him a drink anyway, and I'm buying yours for the entertainment you just caused here in this grocery <laughs> store for there. But Barbara here encounters a lady who is wearing a self-righteous mask. And sometimes that is the way that the Pharisees and teachers of the scribes, they were as well. They didn't care about the guy. They didn't care anything about, uh, or they didn't care anything about the woman. They were only there to project their own self-righteousness. But Jesus cares about the individuals. Our text goes on in verse 10. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. You know, what a relief. Jesus here echoing the words that we find in John three seventeen that says, for, this, for, uh, for Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Here he lives that out by not condemning this woman. Jesus also could have dove into her story, asked for details. He didn't need to. He simply said to her, I don't condemn you. What a moment of mercy that Jesus declares as this woman stands is still standing in front of the crowd as receiving unexpected and undeserved mercy. If you've ever received unexpected or undeserved mercy, you don't forget it. It's a transformational moment 
when someone extends love and grace to you. But Jesus doesn't stop there in that unexpected mercy. He also calls her to repent. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus acknowledges that her life is in, uh, in sin right now, which is anything that violates God, God's law. And the way she is living is not the best path that God has created for her. And so Jesus calls her, hey, leave that lifestyle of sin and follow me. But Jesus did not condemn her, but he did call her to leave her life of sin. He affirms that there is a right way to live, and there's a path that she is on that's God's path. Leave it. Repent. Come on. One of my favorite Jacqueline Miles stories uh, from a few years ago, um, there was a lady called her, a mentor that she was uh, working with, a mentee, Jacqueline was the mentor, and said, hey, I really need to talk today. And so they're in the parking lot at Dollar Tree, and the kids are in the car, and this uh, person shares with her, said, hey, last night I hooked up with a, a guy on Tinder. And at that exact moment, this comes out of this girl's mouth, Jacqueline feels a giant splat on her head. And apparently a hawk, eagle, something flew over her and pooped on her right at that exact second, said, hooked up with a guy on Tinder, splat. So Jacqueline now has heard a mess from this person, but now she has a mess all over her hair, and it's just this sticky situation all the way around. So there's, they find paper towels and napkins, and they're just smearing it further in because they're trying to get all of it off. There's this moment where she's thinking, I need to counsel this person, but I also, oh, I've got bird poop on my, on my head. What do I do? And in that moment, she simply said to this person, hey, you're better than that. That's not who you are. Stop it. And like a coach, Jesus speaks to us sometimes the truth. Hey, you're better than that. This is the steps that you get better. My son Mason was at a basketball camp this, this um, year, and, and the coach at Trinity was talking about a free throw shooter. Now, I don't have room to talk. My high school senior year free throw percentage was 43%. That takes skill to miss it that much. So, okay, so I'm just talking about the, what the coach said, not what I would say. But do you know what the coach said about the shooter who was up at the free throw line? Hey, this guy's not a good shooter yet. But he's practicing these drills, and by, in a couple of years, he's going to be a great shooter. And I love that ability for this coach not to demean, say, hey, man, this kid's terrible. He's always going to be terrible. He says, you know what? This is where he is, but these are the things he's going to do to turn it around. And Jesus here calls this woman to follow him through leaving a life of sin. Jesus speaks both truth, and he also speaks mercy. This is the Jesus way. And our story today shows us two masks that the church today wears. And when I say church here, I'm not just talking about Westport Road Baptist Church. I'm thinking of the Christian church, the church in America, the church around the world. So any church that's seeking to follow Jesus, the church wears masks as well. And this sermon has hung heavy uh, on my soul since June, really when it became something that I've sat with and wrestled with. And to be honest, I'm really happy to finally get to share it with you today, hopefully for a little bit of relief. We're supposed to give it in July, but we all had COVID. And so now I'm finally had the ch an extra month to sit with this. But the church today, as I see it, wears masks as well. That's highlighted in John chapter 8. And the first one is that the church has done much harm to individuals. Like the woman in our text, when they do not care about the individual, but they rather care about the institution of the church. 
You know, our church is named here inside of Louisville. It's fine. We all know Westport Road. But outside of Louisville, we get a double take. Our church's name has sometimes gets confused with another church in our country that has a similar name to us. Um, it's a church that protests uh, the soldiers' funerals. And their belief is that, uh, this, this Baptist church's belief is that because um, God hates gays, then soldiers die and thank God for dead soldiers. So one of my classmates was killed in Afghanistan at his funeral in our small town in Missouri. They showed up to promote God's way and God's plan by protesting. And similar to that, we see today an increase uh, to me of a church that has, wears a mask of self-righteousness that is happy, almost giddy, to point out the sins of others but fails to recognize its own failures. We've seen it in the church's handling of child sex abuse or in increasing ways Christians will decry and almost gladly humiliate another individual to get their theological or political point across. It becomes about getting the 99 people to say, yeah, you're right, as opposed to the one person that we put down. Friends, this mask of self-righteousness is not the Jesus way. And any time that we would seek to hurt or harm an individual, what we would say for a greater good, that is a mask that Jesus calls us to take off. Jacqueline and I are youth pastors, and Tulsa had the chance to, to know a guy named Austin. Austin was a very solid kid, and after college, he came out to his small group, church group, that he was gay. And the way his church handled it became almost a matter of power to him. They put him through these exorcisms uh, to cast out this demon that he had, violating pastoral care and sound practices. And Austin got to the point where he finally thought there was no end to this, and so he sat on his bed holding the gun till the gun got warm in his hand. And he didn't go through with it. But he'll tell you today he is not a Christian and wants nothing to do with the church. And in this church's desire for theological purity, they hurt and harmed an individual, one of Jesus' little lambs. And the mask of self-righteousness will do that when we lose sight of Jesus' one that he loves, the woman in the story, the individual that is vulnerable and afraid. We no longer represent Jesus when we wear a mask of self-righteousness. But yet there's a second mask in this story that we also, I think, comes to light. When I was a chaplain at Baptist uh, East, um, I had been in the program for a few months, and I was having a conversation with my supervisor. And I forget how the conversation even came about, but he asked me this question. He said, now wait a minute, Josh. Do you want everyone here in this hospital to become a Christian? Like people of other faiths, people of no faith, do you really want every single person here to become a Christian? To me, that seemed like a simple question. Yes, absolutely. And he said, I wouldn't have guessed that from our first few months here. Now, the majority of people in the program with me probably didn't hold that same view as I did. But in that setting, the mask that I was wearing was a mask that was simply reflecting the people that I was around. And I think there's, a, there's a something here where the church here wears a mask of hiding the complete message of Jesus. 
You know, if Jesus had simply said to the woman, hey, I don't condemn you, you're okay, I'm okay, go do whatever you want. And I think for one section of the church, maybe not the self-righteous, but the, another section of the church, we wear a mask that says, hey, we don't condemn you, and God loves you, and yes, that's true, but Jesus also calls us to leave a lifestyle and leave a life of sin. Because God's way, God's intent, when we are a Christian, we're saying, God, I choose to follow your path, your plan. You are the king of me. I don't set my own agenda. I don't just describe to what I want to believe, but God, I accept your norms. I accept your values. I accept your word. Because Jesus knows that life is ultimately found when we're following God's path, even when we always don't understand this. So Jesus, part of the gospel is that we all do sin. We all fall short of God's glory. But we are not left alone. And so we hold this intention, and it isn't easy. We don't wear the mask of self-righteousness. Why? Because we all have sinned. I'm not going to hurt or harm an individual for my own uh, gain. But on the other hand, I still hold that there is truth. That there is sin and righteousness. That there are ways that God calls us to live. That's a tough place to stand in, isn't it? It'd be easy just to simply condemn everyone. It'd be easy just to say, hey, everyone's okay. But the gospel holds both intention and, and, and calls us to follow after Jesus. If the path was easy, we would all follow it. Only through God's Holy Spirit can we live it. I love this quote by Timothy Keller, a pastor. And he says this, The gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. That's why we can welcome the broken into our mix because we are broken. That's why we don't have to condemn or stone the sinner because we are sinners. But yet we are just not stuck in our own sin and in our own shame, but we are more loved and accepted in our brokenness because of Jesus Christ. This is the power that we have that can transform lives. I read the story of a lady who grew, was Muslim and she grew up in a Muslim country and somebody gave her the gospel of John and she was intrigued by it and she opened it up and she began to read in John 1 she was enamored about who this Jesus was it felt like she was just set on fire until she got to John chapter 8 our text today and she read the Pharisees trap for Jesus and she closed the book and she was so sad because she thought if Jesus says no, don't stone her then he doesn't follow the law. But if Jesus says to stone her, I could never follow him. And she just couldn't read what happened after that, and she set the Gospel of John down. Well, many hours later, curiosity got the best of her, and she said she wanted to know what happened. And so as she read the story of Jesus' response, she was so humbled that right then and there, she said, I will follow Jesus, and became a Christian. You see, when the world understands and sees a church that's committed to, to understanding our brokenness, but also understanding that Jesus calls us to follow him and to become a disciple, that has the power to transform us. That has the power. 
to transform our lives. Would you join me in prayer? Well, gracious God, I pray that today for each one of us, we will hear your word. We will hear your word that we are more loved and accepted in you, even in the midst of our brokenness. And Lord, I pray today for each one of us, God, where, you, where we are wearing the mask of self-righteousness, that you would convict and tell us, stop it. And Lord, where we are living in sin, that we will hear your word, stop it, to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, the call is pretty clear today. If you feel God calling you, and maybe you're convicted, hey, I am wearing that mask of self-righteousness. Today's the moment right where you are. You're welcome to make this your altar to simply repent of that. Or else if you would say today, hey, I'm in sin. I'm not following Jesus. I'm not doing right. Hear his call. You're not condemned, but leave it. Stop it. You're welcome if you'd like to come forward to pray. Never follow Jesus or accept him as your Lord and Savior. What a great day to do that as we stand together and sing. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.